Our scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 111. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sends redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Well, I'm sure many of you are feeling kind of like me this morning. You're in a bit of a post-Christmas coma. The, the, the presents have all been unwrapped from the tree. Uh, you, your belly is full of Christmas ham and probably too many Christmas cookies and sweets. And my eyes are already turning towards the new year coming in less than a week. But we shouldn't be in a post-Christmas coma, at, at least not yet. After all, this is only the second day of Christmas. We still have to receive our two turtle doves and a partridge in the pear tree uh, to go with, along with the other partridge and pear tree we received yesterday. Because we, we've still got more Christmas to go. When we look at the church calendar, there are actually two Sundays in Christmas, this Sunday as well as next. So we can't race by Christmas. Uh, Christmas is not over yet. And I think when we read Psalm 111, this psalm also stops us from racing by Christmas. This psalm, through its poetic structure and its imagery, it actually invites us to spend more time reflecting on Christmas. Reflecting on what God actually did when he had Jesus be born of Mary. And it leads us to a greater understanding of what Jesus' birth means for us. So let's start today by looking at the psalm. And I don't want to get too technical and in the weeds, um, but I was forced, no, I was given the wonderful opportunity to study Hebrew <laughs> in college and at seminary, uh, including a class on Hebrew poetry. So I just wanted to direct your attention to some things that might not come through in the English translation that the psalmist does masterfully in this poem. So first of all, Psalm 111 is an acrostic poem. You may have written an acrostic poem before. I know I have back in kindergarten or early elementary school. I'd write my name vertically, J-O-E-L. Then horizontally, I would write words that begin with each of those letters that describe who I am. Well, acrostic poems work like this in the Psalms as well, although they use the entire Hebrew alphabet. And each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is a relatively common way that psalms are written, but they typically struggle with some of the uh, stranger letters of the alphabet that are harder to think of words that begin with them. 
And they often have to use the second letter of a word or maybe just skip that letter altogether. But this one in Psalm 111 is pristine. This is exactly every single line beginning with every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's really masterfully done by the, the psalmist. In addition to being an acrostic poem, this is also a hallelujah psalm. Our English translation begins verse 1 with praise the Lord. And in Hebrew, that's the Hebrew phrase and word hallelujah. There are several hallelujah psalms in the Bible, and they kind of form their own genre of psalms in themselves. They all start with this call to praise, this hallelujah and then they continue to give reasons why God is deserving of all praise. And then they typically end with a wisdom saying at the end that's sort of the, the hearer's response to this praiseworthy God. And that's exactly what we have here. Psalm 111 follows this format almost to a T. And so when we listen to Psalm 111 be read, we can actually hear these two main reasons for praising God. We hear that God's works are, are, uh, are great and that they are good. We praise God for his goodness and his greatness. So first we see God's greatness. The psalmist says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Great are the works of the Lord. I may be a little bit biased, but I think that my hometown and my wife's hometown in Munising, Michigan— uh, is one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. It is on the shore of Lake Superior in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, it's cold and snowy in the winter, but the summers are absolutely wonderful. Short though they are, they are wonderful. There are nearly a dozen waterfalls that you can hike to. Uh, th there are just these clear days uh, of Lake Superior on these pristine beaches. And there's also miles of sandstone sandstone cliffs called the Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore in Munising, Michigan. And it is absolutely amazing. I moved up there during high school, and it was amazing for me, a boy from a small farm town where the only scenery we had were cow pastures and fields, which have their beauty in their own way, I suppose. But to move up to this place with just grand spectacle that just leaves you in awe of God's creation. And maybe you've experienced this before, that you've stood in awe of God's creation. Maybe if you've gone to one of the biggest wonders of the natural world, like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, or if you've even just sat by the ocean and listened to the power of the waves, or you've looked up at a sky full of stars at night, you have marveled at the great works of the Lord. And you know what this psalm is getting at. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. This verse from Psalm 111 is actually posted above the doorway at Cambridge University as you enter the Cavendish Laboratory. So as scientists, researchers, and students enter this prestigious place, this place where they're going to study creation in fascinating new ways, they are doing it and they enter with this verse marking their entry. That God's works in creation are studied by those who delight in them. But this psalm is actually a little bit more intense than just an academic study. This Hebrew word is the typical word that we use when we talk about searching out, seeking, looking for. 
So the works of the Lord aren't just studied in a textbook, but they are sought after by those who delight in them. We just can't get enough. The works of the Lord are what bring us into the classroom to begin with, bring us into the laboratories to do more research. And, and they also inspire us to fill novels with stories and to make artwork that echoes the beauties that we see in creation. The works of the Lord are indeed great. But Psalm 111 doesn't stop there with the works of the Lord simply being described great. For the psalmist, the works of the Lord being just great is incomplete. The psalmist is in awe of God's works, but there's so much more than that. He's also in awe of this God who does his great works toward mankind. See, God is more than a creator, more than an artist. He's a rescuer. We've seen God's greatness, but we also need to take this morning a time to look at God's goodness. You know, every culture throughout time has seen that God's works are indeed great. Simply by looking at creation, they can tell that. But if we don't know that God is also good in addition to being great, well then we might not actually hear the grace that God has for us. Because if God is simply great, then we could see God's power, and that could be bad news for us. If we don't know that the God who has power to make creation in this spectacular way also is good and cares for you, well then you might be worried that this powerful God is actually angry with you. But as the psalm tells, we have seen God's works not just in power, but also in love and mercy. The psalm says this, He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. There's a re repetition of the word remember there multiple times. And I think that's significant. That as the Lord works so that he is remembered by all of us, so too he remembers his promises that he made to the Israelites. He remembers the covenant that he made. And this psalmist invites his hearers to remember these promises and these deeds that the Lord has done to them, to their parents and their grandparents. That God provided food in the wilderness. When the Israelites were hungry, God miraculously provided manna for them to eat. And God provided salvation for them, that he brought them out of slavery through the Red Sea. And this event was remembered year after year by the Israelites by celebrating the Passover, when they remembered God's good works that brought salvation and as God followed through on his promises. And this right here, this in the psalm is why we can't speed past Christmas just yet. Because as at Christmas we celebrate and we remember that we too have seen God's good and great works. And we've even seen them in a way that the psalmist could only hope for. That we know that Jesus came to earth to be the ultimate great and good work of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity through whom all things were made. That is all incredibly great. But in his birth, we see God's goodness in an amazing way. That God would not stay far away from us, but would actually enter into creation 
to be near us, to be present with us. There is something so significant about the fact that God would do this, that Jesus would be born and be fully present with us. There's something significant about it. And I thought about this a few weeks ago during a meeting here at St. Luke's. This year on Vicarage has really been my first time uh, in meetings, uh, doing work sort of things with schedules and all that sort of fun stuff. And most of our meetings aren't all that exciting. They're just kind of day-to-day business. But this meeting was probably the best one I've ever attended. It was when we were talking about what St. Luke's is actually trying to do, our mission, what we are doing here by being the church here in Oviedo, Florida. And we were brainstorming what, what type of a person actually is a Christian. What does a Christian look like? And as we brainstormed, we thought of all sorts of descriptions and traits of what a Christian is. They should have a servant heart. They should love people in all circumstances. They should be generous at all times to all people. They should be humble in whatever happens to them in life. It was all a great discussion, and we thought of so many things. But then we changed the question. Instead of thinking about traits, we started thinking about people who embody these traits. And that's when the entire feeling in the room changed completely. Instead of talking about just ideas, we shared stories through joyful tears about someone that we knew in a season of life who shared Christ's love with us. We, we told stories about the people that we've known for decades, our wives and husbands, fathers, mothers, friends. We told about these people that we've known for so long, and daily we are amazed at the lives that they live, that are lives of love and service to all those around them. See, knowing ideas is one thing. But knowing a person is something completely different. In Jesus, we have a person. At Christmas, we celebrate that God would do this greatest good work of all in sending his son to earth. You know, Jesus didn't just give us a new philosophy, a new outlook on life. He didn't just give us new laws to follow so that we could live a better life. No, instead, we have a person who lived this life of love and sacrifice, who died a humiliating death that he didn't deserve, all so that we could have life. Psalm 111 ends with this wisdom saying, and this wisdom saying is really a common theme throughout the Proverbs, as well as the Psalms and other other wisdom books. The Psalm says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The fear of the Lord. And the word fear here is actually the same root that the psalmist used in the previous verse when he describes the awesome nature of God's works. Fear and awe go hand in hand, and they lead us to actually understand the world around us. If we want to study God's works in laboratories and classrooms, if we want to make art that's beautiful and profound— if we want to live a life that's actually centered on something immovable and something life-giving, then we need to start by being in awe of God's great and good works. Start by seeing our God not as a far away God, but a God who's actually come near to us, 
A God who would send Jesus to be born so near to us that we humans could lay him in a manger. We could hug him and cling on to him. Humans could listen and to the very words of God being spoken to them. And we humans could even kill him, only for him to rise again. That is what our great and good God has done for us. So we can't race past Christmas just yet. Instead, let's continue to celebrate this great and good gift of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.